Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Are you ready to challenge a rhetoric? Today is Tuesday, March 21st, 2017. My name is Sherry Roberts, and you're listening to Challenging the Rhetoric. Thanks for tuning in. Tonight, leading cybercrime computer forensic expert Frederick Lane will be joining us. We're going to discuss Marines United and the so-called revenge porn and the reality of electronic sexual assault. Is revenge porn just a crass military phenomenon? Unfortunately, the answer to that is no. Electronic sexual assault claims victims every day. Welcome to the show. Online military forums allegedly created as avenues for current and former service members to share in community are hubs for perpetrators of electronic sexual assault. It's not just the Marines. Other service members were exposed to. And uh, the problem is so-called revenge porn. It goes deeper than a problem in our military. With chips on our shoulders the size of Texas and a don't-tell-me-what-to-do attitude, we become a society arrogantly racing alongside this technology, leaving our humanity and our morals in the proverbial dust, all for sport. Revenge porn isn't pornography. It's electronic sexual assault, so let's call it what it is. As always, we have a lot to talk about. If you'd like to participate with us during the live broadcast, you can join us in the chat room on Blog Talk Radio forward slash Challenging the Rhetoric with Sherry Roberts. That's spelled C-H-E-R-I. Just click on episode 53 and the chat room should load beneath the slider. You can also tweet to me at CTR Newsfeed or at my guest tonight at FSL3. Be sure to visit the website and Facebook page at ChallengingTheRhetoric.News. Tonight we're using the hashtag CTR. Marines United, revenge porn, electronic sexual assault, and cyberbullying. Remember, this is a dialogue. It's not a debate. Our guest tonight is Frederick Lane. Frederick is one of the country's leading cybercrime computer forensic experts. He's the author of nearly a dozen books, including a series called Cyber Traps that everyone should read to learn how to better navigate our cyber spheres. Frederick is also an expert in electronic sexual assault, crudely referred to as revenge porn. Frederick is on a mission to correct the lazy and often misleading terminology we use so that the labels better portray the real crimes that they are reflecting. Casual slang like revenge porn and or child porn are not only misleading terms, they're terms used to dehumanize, desensitize, and even normalize bad behavior. It's really a big deal, and we need to get it right. As tonight's guest is going to help us to explain, Frederick Lane, welcome back to the show. Sherry, it's a pleasure to be on, and that was a terrific introduction and overview. Good job. Well, thank you. I'm glad I didn't end it with my this this instinct I had. I wanted to say, yo, 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 yippee, yippee. <laughs> <laughs> Serious topic. Got to well, like that from the get-go. Yes, I agree with you. But no, actually, it was, it was very well said. And, and I appreciate the opportunity to come on to your show and talk through these issues with you. Thanks. I appreciate you so much. You know this. So um, yeah. as always, real briefly, for the new listener tuning in tonight, uh, please uh, give a, a brief rundown on, on who you are, Mr. Frederick Lane. Sure. I am an author and a computer forensics expert. I've been doing computer forensics 
for 20 years, which is roughly half the time that I've been working with computers in one capacity or another. I'm an attorney by training. I spent about four and a half years practicing law and then started writing books. My first book was Obscene Profits, published in 2000, which was about the launch of the online adult industry in the early 1990s uh, on into the current millennium. And then over the course of uh, you know the next 15 years or so, a lot of time uh, researching and writing about emerging technologies and the impact that they have on our society. And as you correctly pointed out, over the last uh, four or five years or so, I've been working on a series of books under the umbrella term Cybertraps to talk about the risks of uh, the, the legal risks that arise out of the use and misuse of electronic devices and social media. So I did Cybertraps for the young, then Cybertraps for educators, which is going to be updated this summer, and most recently Cybertraps for expecting moms and dads. I, I highly suggest everybody go to fredericklane.com and check out, click on his books because there's, I think, eight or so of, of books that I know that are on the site. And these are, some of these books are not necessarily about what we're talking about tonight and, and cyber traps. Um, there, there's a lot of insight there spanning a lot of years, and they're all very good books. I, I highly suggest them. I'm not trying to sell Fred's books, I'm trying to uh, get you to be savvy with the information that's contained in those books. Uh, real quick, Fred, before we move on, I want to give two shout outs. Uh, and, and one of which for sure has to do with you. One of your followers, one of your fans, a man named Dan, I'm sorry if I slaughter your last name, Bullen or Bulen, B-U-L-L-E-N, has been following me on Facebook uh, for a few days in direct relation to the shows that you and I have done together. He has a lot of respect for you. Mm -hmm. So, hey, Dan, thanks for listening and sharing. And then also, because I use the cybersecurity hashtag online when we're when I have you on the show, um, I just have to give a shout out. I don't really know a lot about this person, but uh, they recently started paying attention to uh, tonight's show and you being on here. And I'm sure it had to do with the, again, cybersecurity and cyber topics. It's someone that's at Cybertators on... Um, oh, yeah. Twitter. <laughs> right. And I, I mean, uh, come on, that's ingenious. That's cute. So just a shout out just for uh, <laughs> ingenuity with a cute little name. And uh, if anybody that's been following me with the whole Oregon standoff thing, you'll know that taters, potatoes, it all has something to do yeah. with each other. So get your own little giggle. Uh, anyways, Fred, <laughs> without jumping ahead, uh, you know, where we're going, um, can you from you know, your expertise. Can you explain, obviously in lay terms, I, because I, I never preach to the choir. So there's such a diverse audience that's trying to understand what we're talking about. Can you explain what exactly, and I'm going to use the term revenge porn a little bit um, for, for a few reasons, and we'll get into those reasons also later in the show, but explain what revenge porn actually is as far as the logistics of doing it. And we'll talk about what it really is. Sure. Um, yeah, look, I mean, I, I had some back and forth actually with a major in the Marine Corps when I was working on my blog post. And, and just as an aside to anyone who's listening, in addition to the books, I really do hope that folks will check out my Cybertraps blog, which is on my website, 
where I try to basically illustrate the work that I'm doing and write about some of the issues that you and I have talked about so much. So, you know, I think that'll be useful for people to check out. And when I was writing about this today, I reached out to the Marine Corps for some information. And in the course of the conversation with this this major who works in the you know news division of the Marines, you know, look, he he's absolutely correct that that one of the issues that we face is that that revenge porn is number one, a relatively short hashtag, right? So that has value in today's Twitterfied world. But then it also is sort of a catchy phrase. You know, it's it's something that, that sort of grabs people because it's it's provocative. And I get that. That that totally makes sense to me. The way that people are using the term revenge porn is they're using it to encompass the online distribution of intimate photos or videos of someone without their consent. And so the the classic revenge porn situation is where you've got a boyfriend and a girlfriend or a husband and wife, and there's a messy breakup. And the dude who's a jerk proceeds to take photos that they've created for each other's enjoyment and post them to a website or share them with his buddies or distribute them on, on 4chan, which is, you know, as, as you're well aware, one of the seedier um, elements of the, of the internet. So that's classic revenge porn. Guy feels wronged. He has these intimate photos. He decides he's going to share them online to embarrass, shame, hurt his ex-partner. Now, unfortunately, the term has been used to cover other kinds of behavior that have nothing to do with revenge. So, you know, instances in which, for instance, you know, someone is hacking into somebody's account, they may not even know that person, but then those photos wind up on similar websites. I've even seen the term used for so-called creep shots or upskirt photos or down blouse photos, depending on you know, which angle they're shooting from. So I, I began to look at this um, a little while ago when I was at a conference down in Washington, D.C., and there was a really lively debate that I attended. And the panel, of which I was not a part, but I was there, the panel was basically saying, you know, for a lot of the reasons you and I have talked about, that this term doesn't really fit. And so they literally said to the audience, do you have any ideas what we should call it? And I came up with the phrase electronic sexual assault, which, yes, is a little bit more of a mouthful, but I think it is much, much more accurate. And it works better for a bunch of different reasons we'll go into. Well, you know, let me let me address that um, that label, because I think it's a great label. Not only does it speak true, as I said in the opening, but um well, I mean, only, let's just say only because it speaks true more than anything. Uh, as far as people, when you said it's a mouthful, I think the people that have the biggest hiccup are the Twitterers. You know, I, I use Twitter prolifically. Sure. Um, and I suggest anybody that does what I do should really be using Twitter. Anybody that does what you do, Fred, should be using Twitter. Um, but oh, I do. The, <laughs> with, with Twitter, um, you know, you're, you're so limited in characters that something that is electronic sexual assault as a hashtag is is very long and you know uh esa uh 
it, it sounds very close to, you know, ESL English is second language. I don't know. But um, I mean, but it is a, a true terminology and that terminology is super correct. Now you said a mouthful, you said all sorts of things that were kind of jumping a little bit ahead of the game. Um, but one of the things, so I'm going to refer to some of my notes right now, because you mentioned creep shotting and that's something that I had in my notes. And I think that it's important for Let's let's break it down real specific. The, what is creep shotting and what exactly is this quote unquote revenge porn? What is the difference between the two, Fred? Well, you know, as I said, some people use revenge porn to include things like creep shots, which, again, I think is is highly inaccurate and and not very helpful to any of us. To answer your specific question, the term creep shot refers to a category of photographs that are taken in which person being photographed is doing something out in public and is not aware that they're being photographed. So a classic, absolutely classic example, the the er creep shot, if you will, is a woman who is wearing Lululemon yoga pants and is like bending over to get a parfait out of the Starbucks cabinet, you know, and so, you know, some creep literally, which is obviously where the term comes from, some creep will use our ubiquitous smartphones and take a photo of that woman. And of course, Lululemon got into all kinds of grief a few years ago for not making its yoga pants, um, you know, thick enough or, or obscuring enough. And so that created problems on top of everything else. But it can also apply to women um, on the subway, it can apply to women on the beach, you know, any, any number of different situations. And there are entire websites devoted to the sharing of these kinds of images. Related to that, you know, and, and they, they sort of, the categories blend a little bit, is this idea of upskirt, you know, where somebody either literally bends over and shoots a photo up someone's skirt or they do something more technical and even creepier of putting a camera into a gym bag or in the most extreme instance, they rig a camera into the toe of their shoe and use that to take photos. You know, down blouse is perfectly explanatory. A woman is wearing some kind of halter top or something like that and is bending over to get something and, you know, somebody decides to take advantage of that and shoot a photo. So these are all images which are taken without the consent, presumably, of the individual, or in, in most cases, without her knowledge. It could certainly happen to men, but let's be frank about it, it almost never does. Um, so, <laughs> so that, so, you know, when someone says revenge porn, and, and tries to categorize those kinds of photos, to my mind, at least, it just doesn't fit. So we need a better way of looking at the problem. I, I agree. Uh, I just want to say something about the yoga pants. Here's here's a problem. Um, the women now. I, I wear yoga pants. I wear I wear yoga pants. I wear yoga pants. I wear them all the time, and I know that they shouldn't be pants. Um, not that I don't wear other pants. I wear jeans and shorts and all kinds of other pants. But I do I do wear yoga pants. Uh, the thing is, is that all these women that are out there wearing yoga pants, these uh, creep shooting uh, people, these people taking creep shots. 
that's the least thing or the last thing if if they're even thinking about it at all. Those women, all they care about because their mind's so messed up over everything that we're told we're supposed to have that they, you know, they're praying somehow and they're tensed up hoping they have that thigh gap. Um, you know, so that, that's where the uh, quality of the fabric and, and all of that also plays in. But something really important to be very serious about what you said, the... I want to make a comparison. The things that you're saying, Frederick, are are exactly in line as far as creep shotting goes. Okay. They are exactly in line with what pedophiles do. It's the same thing. Sure. It's opportunistic mm -hmm. photos on playgrounds, at schools, driving down the road, something they can kipe off the internet. And it's just showing a little something. A little girl bends over because her popsicle dropped. And oops, you see panties. It's the same psychologically and logistically the same exact thing and i and i and i think that that parallel is extremely important because i think psychology has a lot to do with what we're talking about with electronic sexual assault can you address that well sure look um you know i i think am i that, wrong no you're not remotely wrong sherry i couldn't agree with you more and i don't think that i have to tell you or the people listening to the show how tech positive i am i'm a huge supporter of technology for a whole host of reasons. I think there are enormous benefits for us all. That being said, you know, particularly with respect to illicit or inappropriate or unauthorized photos of children, mobile technology has made that problem infinitely worse. And I speak as someone who used to work in the U.S. District Court and watched the U.S. Postal Service deal with the paper distribution of child pornography. And they did a fantastic job cutting down on the distribution and sale of those materials. But that was occurring right as scanners and digital cameras and then the internet were taking off. And when those things arose, when those things arrived and became readily available to anybody, let alone smartphones, you know, which were almost 20 years later, the, the ability to control this kind of behavior vanished. And it's, it's an extremely difficult problem to figure out. And of course, you know, the other work that I do with respect to computer forensics, I see the impact of that in terms of people now going away to prison for 5, 10, 15, 20 years because they can't keep themselves from downloading this stuff that is readily available. I'm not even talking about people who are paying for it let alone people who produce it, who are absolute scum of the earth. I'm talking about people who just come across it and, and look at it and they get caught and they wind up with many, many years in prison. And that's a whole different show to talk about. But I think the bottom line is that we really need to grapple with the impact of digital technology on the abuse of children. I do, but I, I think that the abuse of children is, um, I mean, the most important for sure. And, you know, me and my listeners, my regulars know me and how I am such yeah. an advocate for kids. But I don't want to lessen the bad impact as far as those listening to the importance of what we're talking about. Because the psychologically, technologically, this bad behavior 
isn't just about what's happening with kids, the, the electronic sexual assault or what people like to call revenge porn, the cyberbullying, the cyber stalking. It's kind of all from the same technology or not. Techno- well, obviously, it's from the same technology, <laughs> but it's coming from the same same psychological place. And I don't want to we're going to we're going to talk about that in just a minute. I, I would like to kind of backtrack a minute. And I want to talk about electronic electronic sexual assault from the aspect of, and I, I think it's very important. There are websites out there, listeners, that people have have done these creep shotting of you or their exes or somehow got a hold of something from an ex that you shared in private or did together in private, whatever the case may be. And you should not be punished for sharing something in private. And we're going to talk about that too. But the, the thing with the, the creep shotting and, and, and the other stuff, there are websites that are not specifically just to spend, to set, you know, to uh, proliferate revenge porn. There are websites to extort people, you know, a couple hundred, couple thousand dollars a pop to take your photo down that you didn't even know someone had. Can you talk about those, Fred? Sure. I mean, uh, you know, this is an interesting period that we live in, right? Because even though millennials are embracing sexting at a remarkable rate, you know, the, the statistics that I've seen most recently suggest that anywhere between 45 and 55% of millennials have taken and shared a nude photo of themselves with somebody. And easily more than 90% have seen those kinds of photos. We're still in a period of time where there is a, uh, there's a, blackmailing potential for those kinds of images. There's still a sense of um, invasion of privacy or public shame at the idea that these images would be shared. There, there could easily be job consequences. As you know, with the Cyber Traps for um, Educators book, I wrote about instances in which teachers lost their jobs because their photos wound up on the web somehow. Even if it wasn't necessarily their fault, the challenge you run into is that the, um, you know, the, the, the way in which people react to the disclosure of those photos is damaging. And so, yes, th- there have been instances in which websites have tried to extort, or as some people like to say, sextort the money from the victims. But I will, I will say that legislatures and law enforcement have been very aggressive about trying to shut down those kinds of, um, those kinds of sites. And I think that, that that is less of a problem now than the, the ways in which people are, are suffering as potential victims in their workplace you know, as as the Marines have been, you know, the female Marines, which really obviously was the motivation for this show. So there, we're not talking about people necessarily having to pay money. I think what we're talking about is is literally the sense of of harassment that is associated with the publication of these photos. Okay, Fred, let me ask you something. When we're when we're talking about now, let, let me set this up. As Fred said a few minutes back, he is, and, and I can attest to this, Fred is one of the biggest First Amendment advocates that I know. 
that I mean, Fred and I have, we've had, you know, our little arguments about different things as, as somebody that has been a victim of child abuse, child sexual abuse and other things. I've got very strong opinions. I, I, I don't lie on that. I mean, I don't hide that. And sometimes that can drive me. And, you know, Fred has put me in check a few times, like when I wanted to take on Google, as we discussed last time he was on the show. But the, the reality here, Fred, is or, or maybe I, I don't know the reality here. Maybe you can explain what's the difference if somebody posts now, I, you know, I'm almost 50 years old. I know somebody somewhere has nudie pictures of me, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. um, sure. you know, so obviously depending on what state they live on and what state I'm in, and we'll get into the laws here shortly, but let's talk about some ethics of this, I guess is the best way and differentiations of this. No, what's the difference? Actually, if, Sherry, I'm, I'm sorry, well, hold on. This is a really important differentiation yeah. that I think that people need to understand because when we're when when you come on the show, we often talk about cyberbullying, and I think that it goes hand in hand because it is a type of cyberbullying. So, what is the difference for the listeners? So let's say, and I'm going to be very graphic. It's a rated R show, so if you're offended, I'm sorry, but I need to kind of be this graphic in order to paint this picture. Let's say that some dude. Uh, makes a post or a tweet in 140 characters or less and says, my ex so-and-so loves it up the ass and and I made her lick my asshole for 55 minutes and three seconds or whatever. Something just whatever that they can get a reaction, the drama from, right? What's the difference of that and showing an actual image of one or the other? Well, the, the right Why is the one illegal and the other one's not? Yeah. Be, well, for starters, I'm not necessarily sure that, that the second is illegal, but to answer <laughs> your question, no, seriously, and I'll explain in a second, to answer your specific question, and it's a great question, Sheriff, the Supreme Court since the late 1960s has made it clear that under United States obscenity law, mere words cannot be obscene. So you can write whatever weird crazy fantasy you want to write and you can't be prosecuted for obscenity so that's the huge difference right there now let's be clear that there are exceptions if you write something that is directly threatening harm to someone let's say you know that same tweet is i'm going to get 12 guys with you know baseball bats and we're going to sodomize my ex-wife at such and such a time and date, that's a threat. And even if it's only the wildest fantasy, it is still potentially actionable as a crime. So that's pretty clear cut. Now, the thing is that if you then take that tweet that you just described and you make a movie out of it, <laughs> you, you go off to, you know, what they used to refer to as Silicon Valley out in, out in what was it, Northrop, California or whatever, and, and you get a bunch of actors and you enact that up and you post that to Twitter. Number one, Twitter gets to take it down because they're not governed by the First Amendment. But let's say you walk out into city, you know, at City Hall Park and you decide to sell that. Well, then theoretically, it could be seized by law enforcement and you and the movie could be prosecuted for obscenity. And then the, then the, the prosecutor has to prove that it violates contemporary community standards, yada, yada. There's a whole Miller test from 1973. And in that conjunction, actually, I just got hired on a case in Massachusetts 
that deals with this precise issue. Does the, has the internet wiped out our ability to prosecute obscenity? Because the community standard is not just national right now, it's global. You know, it's, you can get whatever you want in whatever corner of the world you're in. So how do we, how do we have a community standard anymore? I think actually the Miller test is completely outdated. Again, that's an entirely different show. The point that we're dealing with here, though, let me, let me just be real clear about this, because this is a distinction that I think is super important. When, when we are trying to address the issue of quote-unquote revenge porn or, or what I call electronic sexual assault, we have to take the material out of the free speech arena. So, you know, if let's let's use the specific specific example of Marines United, which is this Facebook group that had 30,000 members where people were posting photos, um, you know, most of them nudes, a little bit of sexual activity. And then people were writing very graphic comments along the lines of what you just said. All of those things are free speech. Under our constitutional system. So at one level, if we try to punish people for putting the material online just as speech, then we're, we're butting up against the Constitution, and that doesn't work. So you know, that's one of the reasons I don't like the use of the word porn, because porn is speech. Porn is protected by the First Amendment. So if you're describing some of these things that people are doing as porn, you're really implicitly saying that they have a right to distribute it. That's right. why I think that's why I think it is important for us to focus on the consent issue and the consent issue. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's very important, Fred. And you know me, I'm very candid out there. I like porn. Okay. But when you add mm -hmm. the word revenge to it, or you add the word, child to it it's not porn anymore <laughs> and no i don't like it and so when yeah. we when we put those that goes back to what i was talking about dehumanizing and desensitizing to terminology and once that word or that phrase no longer psychologically means what it should mean then you just don't care so much anymore. It's like child abuse itself. You know, it just becomes like, oh, until you really talk about it. Oh, wait a minute. I got off on that. And that was revenge porn. Oops. You know, so right. I mean, it's really, really important, people, that we understand that this is. Uh, it, it's not just, it, this is a harassment. This endangers people. Fred, I want to talk about the very real danger that happens to the, the, the yeah. or, or that positions people that are victims of electronic sexual assault. And, and that is, and I'm going to say this and I'm going to let Fred elaborate and he may agree or disagree with me. I don't know. Cause we haven't discussed this yet, but I know in my own instance and then in other things that I've researched and written about, that one of the things I have a problem with, and for the Oregon standoff listeners, this was one of the problems I had with Pete Santilli. Towards the end, before he got arrested, there was a 15-year-old girl that was the uh, Judge Grassley's granddaughter. And Pete Santilli 
called her a whore and a prostitute, a prostitute. And so what had happened is this got shared in mainstream media. It got shared in alternative media. It got shared in independent media. And for me, being a child advocate is somebody who was abused. I'm saying this dude in a very masculine, misogynistic atmosphere of a bunch of people, you know, toting guns away from their wives, right? They now got a sexual idea because of the word whore and prostitute of this 15-year-old girl. Therefore, this person is now responsible for perpetuating something. The people that may or may, may act on that obviously hold the ultimate responsibility. But there is a danger there and even the suggestion. Well, it's not just the suggestion, Sherry, that's so dangerous, but it's 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 a it's the combination of electronic sexual assault with a uh, another internet related phenomenon called doxing and you're intimately yes. familiar with that but for your listeners who are not the process of doxing is where people do doxing research. makes love to me daily i'm so intimately familiar <laughs> yes <laughs> i mean uh, i mean sure. i've been doxed well, how many times now fred <laughs> i know I know, where people harvest data and then distribute it online as part of the harassment, as part of the threat. And getting back to the U.S. Marine Corps, that was one of the issues with respect to so many of these instances of electronic sexual assault. The, the images and the comments that were put into the Marines United Facebook group often included the name, rank, serial number, and posting of the individuals who were depicted. So in addition to the embarrassment and shame of having their privacy violated and the emotional abuse that resulted from that, in addition to all of that, they actually had the physical fear that somebody who is not all there would actually carry through with the threats that they posted because they knew where these people were. It's, it's terrifying. It is terrifying, and and I can personally attest. Um, I spent uh, quite a bit of time up in Twenty Nine Palms, California, a while back, and that is the home to the largest marine base in the country, Twenty Nine Palms Marine Base. And uh, as well as the marine base, there's a naval and a army base attached to it. It's it, this little tiny town, and the two other towns that are attached to it are all very small. And if you're not in Twenty Nine Palms, and you're in Joshua Tree, or even Yucca Valley, the bigger of the three towns, you are not immune to anything that's spewed out of those bases. And I can tell you, and Cowboy Doug, if you're listening, I've, I, I, you know, I rode your ass on this many times and times again, and we were able to remain friends, but uh, he was somebody that perpetuated a lot of this. And I mean, several years ago, I would get texts all the time from him and others. I used to run a bar, uh, the Stumps uh, bar and grill that was there on the main highway leading into the base. And I mean, I can't tell you how many uh, Marines and what I drove back onto base because they were too drunk and afraid to call the number on their card, right? For the free ride if they had too much to drink. But I would get texts because they had my number and they would just, you know, hit like a send all. They would not discriminate to who they would send to. And for years I would get texts and it'd be from some Marine dude saying, oh, this chick, so-and-so name and all the doxing info cheated on her man while he was fighting for our country here, be a cowboy, do it up. You know what to do folks. And, and it was happening and I saw this happening and I, I couldn't believe that this was happening. I could not believe. And that kind of leads me Fred to 
the the psychological change that technology technology and i and i know in my clothes i'm going to go deeper into into that but from your perspective your expertise uh, you you know you were dabbling in the internet at the very least before we had you know social media and stuff what are you seeing happen as far as the emboldening this people think they're anonymous but they're not you know i mean what's going on here fred this is a mental issue it is a mental issue, and it's one that affects males disproportionately, I think, to women for a lot of reasons that I referenced in the blog post that I did today about the Marines. And and look, the real issue here on this, Sherry, is that you've got individuals who, as you suspect, are deluded about the degree of anonymity that they have. They are they're emboldened by the fact that they're not facing the individual's that they're harassing so that they will do and say things that no rational person would say in public or to someone's face. And they are, are just, they're, they're blustering and they're participating in kind of a, a group think, a kind of mob mentality that encourages them to go beyond the bounds of social decency. But isn't there something even more psychological going down with this? I made the comparison to um, child sexual abuse imagery, child pornography uh, a little bit Mm -hmm. ago. And the reason that I made that is it's it's similar. I mean, there are collections. They're using Google Drive. They're using Dropbox, Um, you know, Mm -hmm. things that FYI, you know, if you paid no attention to any of the the major federal court cases like Oregon standoff, Bundy Ranch and and other cases over the last couple of years, your social media and sharing programs, software and stuff like Dropbox and all that is being used against you. It's not private people. So but is do you, are you not seeing similarities that go beyond just the. I don't know. I mean, I, I it was weird researching for this show. I got like this really bad feeling in my gut. I found so many parallels with this with child pornography. And you're well, the expert, sure. Fred. Look, I mean, yeah, no, look, Sherry, I, you know, I don't think we lump every, you know, every jerk who takes a creep shot or who, you know, participates in a you know, misogynistic conversation in with child pornography. I think there's a spectrum there. And do I think that there are people who, you know, overlap the sections of the spectrum? Of course, right? I, but, but I think we have to be careful not to be too cataclysmic about it. I think that there are plenty of men out there who are simply jerks and who are misogynistic without being um, abusers of children or pedophiles. Um, you know, I think I think that those are very separate. Well, let me put it this way: they are distinct psychological conditions with perhaps some overlap. But that's starting to get a little bit out of my comfort zone in terms of expertise. I'm much better with the technology end of things. Hey, Fred, how much do you think uh, of this uh, going on as we're seeing it is bred by politics? And I'm not talking about Trump specifically. He's relatively new. Sure. Um, but with politics in general, I, as I go into the close of the show later, I, I'm going to bring up the forward momentum from 9-11 forward with social media and so on and so forth. But how much does does this atmosphere uh, that politics has created for the last 15 or so years uh, also impacted this, do you think, in, in your opinion? 
Well, actually, as as I wrote about this afternoon when I was finishing up my blog post, Sherry, I think it's it's less visibly about politics than it is about economics. And I think it's about the the real challenge that um, middle-aged men have faced over the last nine years since the real um, economic crisis, you know, the Great Recession that we faced. And unfortunately for men, those years coincided with the rise of both the service and the information sectors of the United States economy, or the global economy for that matter. And one of the aspects of that that I think is is most difficult for men, and let's be clear, I'm I'm in that sweet spot, right? I'm a 54-year-old white guy. You know, it doesn't get more sort of targeted <laughs> in some ways uh, than that. So I'm really empathetic to the issues that are out there. And both the service economy and the information economy are are sectors of the larger economy that put zero premium on physical strength. And so there's there's no logical reason as as we are rapidly discovering that women cannot perform as well if not better than men in the jobs that this economy or these economic sectors are creating. And so at the very least, you've got increased competition for men. Um, More pointedly, you've got women who have been traditionally underpaid for a long time, being cheaper to hire for the same job than men. Fred, I'm so sorry, Fred. I don't mean to jump your train here, but you're talking about increased competition for men. I'm pretty sure that's what you just said. And because of the topic, I hear like all the Marines and military people that that will listen tonight and to the archive, they're like all, Frederick Lane, you know, all this competition for men that, that like feeds into the testosterone level and the psychological problem. But it's true. It's relevant. You didn't lie, but go ahead. Well, yeah, and, and look, I, you know, part of this, honestly, and I'm I'm not entirely sure what your point was, but but part of this, to be honest with you, <laughs> Sherry, is this was triggered by the fact that just on January 5th, the first women were assigned to infantry units in the Marines. And within days of that happening, you began to see a much more concerted level of electronic sexual assault on the the Marines United Facebook group. So look, that it's it's not a it's not a you know believe me, the fact that women are now in infantry units did not invent electronic sexual assault. It's been happening for a lot longer than that, as has harassment and assault in general. Um, but um, what I will tell you is that you know these these kinds of broad sociological changes that we are facing make all of this worse. And one of the ways that men who are globally immature, let me just put that out, one of the ways that (laughs) men who are globally immature deal with this is by acting out. And this is what we're seeing online with electronic sexual assault is an epic digital tantrum. And it will take a while for us as a society to mature so that this stuff doesn't happen. But but that being said, it is also a crime, and I think we should punish this. But I think we can also step back and we can look at some of the sociological forces that are causing people to behave this way. 
And one last rant on this, Sherry, and on top of all of this, I don't think we're doing a good enough job in our society in terms of teaching ethics, decency, morality, all of these old-fashioned virtues that would help prevent this kind of behavior. And I would like to give the Marines a shout-out because they are, they are confronting that very issue because it goes to the core of who they are. I agree. It goes to the core of who they are. I think that all branches of the military need to be confronting this head on. I do agree mm-hmm. with you that there was a, um, a penchant for uh, prolificness after the January edition of women being able to be in the infantry and the military. But I would like to point out, and I think it's very important for the listener to understand that this is not a military problem. We're hearing about it more in greater numbers with the military simply because of the Marines United case and the fallout afterwards. This is a problem that has been going on for a long time. It happens outside of the military just as prolifically. You just don't hear about Mm -hmm. it as much. We're talking every day. It could be any number of men that I've dated throughout my almost 50 years, any (laughs) number of women before you were married. You know, it could be, you know, my boyfriend, uh, it could be, it could be chaos is his thing, you know, somebody he's been with, it could be a a number of different things and it all wants to come back to bite you. But one of the things that I want to say, you know, with regards to the military, specifically the Marines and the whole Semper Fi, Semper Fi Dallas, always faithful, always loyal. This is a brotherhood and that psychological factor. I believe something changed within our military units, particularly the Marines after 9-11. And I think that this always faithful, always loyal became something different after that. And you have 9-11 and technology and all these things kind of just exploded around it. So one of the things that I, I want to capitalize on the, the opportunity to talk about, and this will resonate with anybody that followed any of the Bundy happenings, whether in Nevada or in Oregon. Um, and that is someone named Mike Vanderbo, and he was the founder of the Three Percenters, and uh, which is a militia group. And he he died last year after a very long bout with cancer. Um, but one of the things that I've got multiple uh, reports uh, from people that I've interviewed in the militia movement um, of one of the things that he taught people was very reminiscent to the cult children of God. And that was something called flirty fishing. Okay. But now you add technology mm-hmm. to flirty fishing. Fred, are you aware what, what flirty fishing is? No, you'll have like to put him on that one. Okay. So flirty fishing was um, a tactic used by uh, the children of God cult. And it was to the women would go out and they would actively flirt and fuck uh, people for intel, for information, or to gather them in, bring them into the fold and into the cult. And Mike Vanderboat had taught, uh, according to several people that have spoken to me over the course of the last year or so, um, in, in these movements, the leadership of these militia movements, how to flirty fish, how to hook for intel. And the women mm-hmm. and the men delight like they would um you know flirt with opposite sex and to for you know pretend that they were interested specifically for intel i know people in the militia movement that specifically on their cell phones and in their their uh you know laptops or computers or whatever have this flirty fished intel you know pictures that have been shared and and stuff like that and so we're talking about a true culture that has happened here and can fred can you you are the you know you are the cyber expert can you talk specifically not just the psychology 
but the culture of this? Well, I think that, you know, when you have, um, you know, sociopathic tendencies, you will take any tool available to reinforce those tendencies and act upon them. And the problem that we, we face in today's society, and I see this in every aspect of the work that I do, is that technology amplifies both the good and the bad. And so it, it makes it easier for people to act in antisocial and abusive ways. It makes people more vulnerable to those kinds of things because of the ways in which we interact with technology. We um, let our guard down. We are, um, we are susceptible to suggestion. We have all of these different issues. And so what we're seeing is a period of time where we haven't adjusted our social norms yet to these new technologies and figured out ways to minimize the risk while still taking advantage of the benefits. I think that um, technology has brought us a lot of things, both good and bad. And I think that part of when we talk about the age of this, the age of that, most people are familiar with the age of the Aquarius. No. Um, you know, we're, we're, we really are looking at an age of arrogance and we see it in the presidency. We see it in, in the things that he says, the threats that are made by he and his cabinet members, you know, people wanting to destroy others. I mean, this is the new lingo of which we speak so casually. And that is a direct result of technology. So Fred, let me ask you, um, let's get to the laws real quick. Is it, is it 34 states as well? Well, as a district of Columbia that now have revenge porn uh, laws, statutes. On yes, the books. I believe I believe that's correct. Yeah. And how? And they all vary. I mean, what what one constitutes one thing is not the, necessarily the same. It's not some blanket law across the board. Um, what part are you playing in not only establishing the ha- the hashtag, but this new terminology and these laws, this legislation? Not much directly. Uh, A lot of this work has already taken place. And so this show and the writing that I've been doing over the past year are really my attempt to enter into the conversation. I had some back and forth today as well with some uh, staffers for uh, Representative Jackie Spear, uh, who's a Democrat from California. And my hope is that I can... um, basically get on her radar at the federal level. And then there's a number of people that I've come across in my research that I want to interact with. And hopefully, slowly, steadily, with the help of things like this, I mean, you've been absolutely terrific, with the, with the help of things like this, start to get this conversation up and running. And, you know, it's not a big deal for the states that have done legislation already to simply recategorize what they're doing. And in some cases, the laws are actually pretty close to what I imagine is needed or what I think is needed. In other cases, I think it would make sense to tweak things so that they more closely track physical assault statutes, which makes the whole analysis and prosecution a lot easier. 
I'm glad that you mentioned uh, Congresswoman Jackie Spear because she has a new piece of legislation and it is actually called uh, Service Members Intimate Privacy Protection Act or SIPA, S-I-P-P-A. And it addresses specifically service members. And if you're listening, Congresswoman, or any of her constituents are listening, please press upon her to widen that um, or or add new legislation to that. Because, again, this is not just a military problem. I'm glad that you guys have connected, Fred. I think it's really important to continue on those tracks. You know, we, we have to fight the system with the system. And it, it is a very hard <laughs> fight and struggle. Yeah. Um, but on March 16th, 2017 is when uh, the press release had gone out for that so that was just a few days ago please look it up it, if you can just put in a search engine uh congressman spear gloria allred also is, is that's the attorney um and uh, marines united one of the survivors of this so-called revenge porn are the ones that introduce this bill that are criminalizing service members that are sharing intimate images without consent and um anything like that it's always going to be without consent it's a very rare day that someone might share something with you and say hey fred go ahead and share it on the internet anywhere you want you know what the hell <laughs> um so uh well, let's let's talk Obviously, Sherry, if that's part of a couple's sex, I was going to say, if that's part of a couple's sexuality, that's fine. That's their choice. But the sure, issue if they is, can prove it six months later <laughs> when right. one's claiming that they wasn't allowed, you know, I, and again, right. that is where technology has made things so differently. It has made things yes. so different and, and, and laws are new. Ideas are new. What we're finding out can happen is still new and ever evolving. And one of the things is, is we are, we, technology is moving so much faster than we can as a people, not just a nation, as a people. And I think that you would agree with me, Fred. And so I want to give you a moment to give some final thoughts, Fred, on how do we tackle technology and still embrace it? How do we have the freedoms without having so many freedoms that laws are broken and people are hurt and harmed? You know, Sherry, that's, that's such a great question. And my answer really boils down to one word, education. And I, you know, I, I am sure that some will scoff, but I think that when I'm talking about education, I'm talking about, first of all, lifelong education. As technology changes, as our circumstances change, we always need to learn what the implications are of our behavior. We need to adapt to new things. But more importantly than that, I, I think that we have a very strong obligation to get back to more basic principles in terms of education, in terms of parenting, uh, and then certainly in terms of the workplace, whether it's you know a, a, a civilian situation or the military. There are ethical principles that should guide our behavior. We need to consider the possibility of incorporating actual cyber ethics into our curricula, into our child rearing, um, into our ongoing professional development, regardless of where we work. I really do think that we will learn social norms that will improve this situation. I would I would suggest we look at the data that deals with, for instance, drunk driving. When I was a kid, I was nearly killed by a drunk driver, which was part of the wave of accidents that led to the founding of Mothers Against Drunk Driving, uh, the idea of a designated driver. 
in the 30 plus years since that accident took place, we've made significant strides as a society in reducing this behavior. Smoking rates have dropped precipitously. We have the capability as a society of human beings to change our behavior if we commit to the idea that these are important values. And that actually, again, gets back to this idea of why we need to talk about this in terms of a form of sexual assault, because we need to make it clear that the conduct criminal, this is not the ha-ha sharing of a you know pornographic photo of Lindsay Lohan and Playboy. That's bought and paid for. But to share the photo of someone who sent it to you as a trust or in good faith and do so without her permission is, is a moral failing and it should also be a criminal act. I agree with you, Fred. Um, before I let you go, I want to um, make a mention of a Twitter follower named William Fulton who um, had been tweeting in the last 20 minutes or so with regards to uh, mm-hmm. military Marines and the psychological mumbo, not mumbo jumbo, that's a way wrong terminology, but the psychological mindfuck that they go through in boot camp and forward. And I can attest, I know that that 29 Palms Marine base teaches them all the terminology hajis for all of the Muslims and all the Middle Eastern countries. That's what they call them hajis. And I know that for a fact. So I understand what William Fulton is saying. And he's saying you can't, you know, this is the end result of some of this. I don't think it's the end result. I think we're going to see more. I think it's part of a result. Um, and, and he's correct, but I don't know that you're necessarily the appropriate guest to talk about the psychology of the military. So William Fulton, um, I will try to address that in some of the coming shows and have the appropriate guest on. Cause I think that's very important. The psychology in the military is beyond just the subject that we talked to talked about tonight. Fred, is there anything you want to plug real quick? Well, let me just do one 20-second response because I think it is important. I came across a great quote when I was doing the research for this that basically said that uh, there are only two people who know anything substantive about Marines, the enemy and other Marines. Everybody else has a second-hand opinion. That being said, I think when you look at the honor code of the U.S. Marines, They are aware of the training they give their soldiers and their emphasis on honor and duty and discipline is specifically designed to counteract the dehumanizing aspects of the training. They want their Marines to be upstanding, decent people, even in a terribly conflicting job. And let me be absolutely clear how much I respect the job they do. But the expectation of the Marine Corps, and it should be the expectation we hold ourselves to as a society, is that they will treat their fellow Marines with decency. And that's the problem with this particular incident. Absolutely. Um, Fred, thank you so very, very much. Um, Let me give an oorah to what you just said, because I think that all of those (laughs) in higher positions within all of the military need to take heed to what you said, but also take heed to some of the current concerns like Mike, like William Fulton, uh, you know, professed and, and others. It it is a concern. We've seen a whole different culture come out of our military since 9-11 and more scandals than ever. Fred, thank you so much for coming on the show. You know, I love you and we will hook up sometime within the next four weeks or less. (laughs) You too, Sherry.
<laughs> Take it easy. Have a great night. After the horrific events of September 11, 2001, then-President George W. Bush and former Vice President Dick Cheney, they preyed on and played to a freaked-out nation, knee-jerking us from one ridiculous color-coded threat level to another. We were taught to be a we were taught to spy on our neighbors, and we were taught to hate those who weren't with us. Simultaneously, we were introduced to digital technology, first the internet and online forums, then text messages and social media. We could share our fears and our questions, and we could share our hate, no matter who that hate was directed at or why. We could even lie if we wanted to, including the media. The internet also enabled us to meet others who shared the same hates and proclivities. And then we became pretty irresponsible, empowered and anonymous, or so we thought. We learned how to be an asshole in 140 characters or less and became prolific at it. Some even became internet stars for it. Snarkers for the sake of sport and little more. The power of social media and the real-time advantage of its reach and we failed. Today, we find ourselves in a place where morals and ethics have seemingly been banned until further notice. Niceties are few and far between, and we hate and hurt in record numbers in record time. And too many say amen even at the end of that. Now, American military personnel, our supposed most honorable among us, are facing more scandal than ever in my living history. And I blame politics, 9-11, and technology for this age of arrogance. To some, they get it right. Last September, when retired service member John Albert found himself invited to the Marines United Facebook group, he had no idea it was something more than an online community that included other men he'd served with and loved. Later, he discovered what was going on in the group, and he informed law enforcement, electronic sexual assault, it's a crime in most states and the District of Columbia. Our words, my words, your words, they have power. What are you using your words for? I ask you this every week. What is your power for? What impact are your words making in this world, in your community, in your very home? We have to take responsibility for the propaganda that we participate in. Whether we're sharing it or curating it, it doesn't matter. Or Well, curating, sharing, same thing. If we're creating it, curating it, click, like, share, all that stuff. What does it matter? It matters a lot. It's an endless cycle and we are not better for it. If you like what I'm doing, truly, I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. So please share the links. And if you find value in what I do, then the tips to the show's PayPal, they're also really greatly appreciated and always needed. I do pay for all my airtime. I pay for everything that I do for this. It is a labor of love. So if you love me, help me out. If you missed part of tonight's show or any of the others, you can find the archives and that donor link on the website at challengingtherhetoric.news. That's it for me tonight. I'll be back live next week. Until then, be kind to one another. I love you. Thanks for listening.